are here today with Dawn Stark, and we're going to be talking about prayer. Uh, this is a special introduction for me because this is my sister, so I've known her, well, she's known me my whole <laughs> life. <laughs> I won't say how much older she is, but a little bit older. <laughs> so Dawn is here with us. I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more and what she's currently doing and about her family. Hey, Sissy. Hey. So I live in Sarasota, Florida now. We um, spent most of our life together until the last five years now. I've been here, um, came to work down here for a child welfare agency where I worked to do advocacy for foster kids, adopted kids, trafficked kids, um, just vulnerable children. And about a year and a half ago, the Lord moved me to an agency called Operation Blessing. It's the humanitarian arm of CBN. So now I work in um, development and I match the passions and the interests of donors with the needs of the vulnerable in 39 countries, including the U.S. So we work with clean water, uh, disaster relief, medical care, and hunger relief. Really is the area um, of work that I'm doing right now professionally. But uh, personally, I'm a mom of five. My story is really about God's faithfulness and a very long infertility journey. Journey lasted 23 years. And you know what's interesting is I've been a mom for 23 years now. So I'm kind of at this, this turning yeah. point in that story. Um, yeah. I, you know, by the time it took my family to get completed, and now here I am at this milestone of 23 years. So um, I've just finished writing my story. I have a I know. I'm so excited. Hard copy. <laughs> She, uh, that Megan is going to actually edit for me. And yes, I will get to that. I swear. <laughs> I don't know where it goes from there, but it's out of my heart and it's on paper. I feel like it was just like giving birth almost. Um, so my story is, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's like this long journey, but it basically was 10 years. We waited for our first child that went through a very long period of time um, with, I went through a total of seven IVFs. So those are in vitro procedures and two international adoptions. So I know that the purpose of our conversation today is not really my infertility journey. And I don't, it's, it's hard to kind of make light of it because it, it really was the defining. Absolutely. It was the definition of my life. And, and I'm finding it still is, you know, it's defining my faith life, my parenting. Yeah. Um, I'm launching some of those miracle babies now. And I'm finding myself um, facing some of those fears and, empty arm kind of thoughts that I had through my infertility. So now I'm wrestling through that next phase and asking God how he heals for that next phase of, of my life. So anyway, yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Yeah. Well, and your book is called called to war. Um, so it is part of the journey of how you've become the prayer warrior that you are today. It's, it is what has fashioned you to be the person that you are. And so it's definitely not a side note. <laughs> um, Right. And it's not to me either, because I walked through this with you and I love those babies as my nieces and nephews that are here now. Um, but I think that just watching you journey through that has been interesting because there are so many 
stages that we go through as a believer, where, you know, in our infancy and in our immaturity as a believer, we come to God with certain kinds of prayers and certain kinds of needs. But as we mature, we grow into sons and daughters who can carry a burden, even for others. So it's cool to see that what you're doing now, uh, God's been able to give you a burden for vulnerable children that aren't yours, that aren't coming into your arms, but he fashioned and formed you to be able to carry that burden through the days where you were worrying on your own behalf and for your own family. Um, I just think that's such a principle that we live by. Yeah. I mean, you know, we come with our own agendas into this faith. Uh, We're looking for that rescue, depending on when you come to know Christ. You know, I just grew up with that part of the conversation. It was the norm. I was born again, very young, five or six years old. And I think that you kind of grow up through your teen years and you take that for granted that, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah. Without understanding there's an entire role of sanctification that has to still continue, you know, in a maturing of, of a saint. You can't, sure. like you said, young Christian, I mean, God doesn't want a bunch of babies who, um, you know, we're only looking to get our needs met. And I think the part, really what God did through my whole journey, and I look at that book and, and it's going to be way longer than I probably anybody wants to read, but um, he just, it's a journey of transformation. I mean, that really is the story of that, of my, my testimony, how yes. God wanted me to be a missionary and he saw something he put in my heart, but it wasn't a convenient thing. I accepted at 12. And I feel like he planted the seed then, and then he was okay with the fact that it would be 40 years, which is, it, it is very painful for me to acknowledge, you know, that it, it really took me 40 years to right. step into the place he wanted me to be. But in those 40 years, he gave me new eyes, he gave me new ears, and he gave me, he gave me a new heart. So now I can be like this relentless warrior for him. And in the beginning, I was an unwilling recruit. God just helped me frame my story through that militaristic kind of mindset. You know, he, he gave me this whole picture before my first child was even conceived. I wrote the outline for the book before wow. I even had Lydia. And then I put it in a drawer because I thought it was nuts, but it really was, <laughs> it really was really a prophetic picture for me personally, hold on to. And a couple times I would pull it out and go, wow, uh, wow. Oh my goodness. That's coming to pass in my life. Of course, I had no idea adoption would be on the, the table. I had no interest in being an adoptive parent at all. Yeah. Our, uh, our dad was adopted, uh, was a negative um, situation in his life, which impacted us as his children. And so there was no way I ever wanted to be the parent of somebody who always wanted somebody else, you know, but I was called to that. You know, God called me to these places. I just didn't have the heart to see it or the ability to see it. And I think what happens is he puts us in these uncomfortable places where we can't change it on our own so that we are totally and utterly dependent on him to make it happen. And one of the ways we do that is through prayer. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I, I want to go back to that story you just said, because I, I feel like I've heard this before from you, but I don't remember that you would actually outline the book before you ever had your first child and outline the book on a journey through infertility and reaching your promise, right? Well, and it was like infertility wars because that's as far as I, you know, knew it would be. And I, and I, I think um, the failed IVFs that led me to Lydia. So I had four. She came on my fourth IVF. Those to me were a lot of death days and yeah. a lot of difficult places um, because when I got on my IVF journey, I thought it was the answer. We had male factor infertility. It was so many right place, right times, and and 
so many places I felt God confirmed that was the direction for us. To say that I wasn't expecting a failed result on the first time would be an understatement. I mean, I, right. I just assumed it was a yes. And, and I really, even with all the people I walked through that with in, in the waiting rooms, uh, you know, for that month and a half or whatever year in treatment, I looked at them all and kind of, I remember like feeling sorry for them because I, you know, the odds are only this much percentage, 30 to 40%, but I knew that I knew it was my answer. I mean, I just yeah. did not have, I did not make a space for a no. And when that no came in, it rocked my world to a level I've never known, you know, and it threw me into such desperate, um, like a desperate recoil. I scheduled the next procedure within six months and put the whole thing on a credit card because I just was like, no, this is my answer. And and this is what it's going to. And that was a no, too. You know, and it was at that point where I really went through, um, I'd say, a solid year of depression and um, it was in those dark places though, in those hidden dark places that God did such holy work, you know, that up into that point where there wasn't that kind of a failure before that you're living month to month on the cycle of infertility, but then you think you get your answer, right? What happens when your answer doesn't work, you know? So where in that journey did you outline that book? Was it after some of the failed attempts? Yes. Mm -hmm. Because I already gone through um, so many death days, you know, and I, I, um, I saw, I saw a transformation and I felt like it was warfare and I felt like I had learned tools of warfare and I saw myself going through like boot camp and I could find those parallels in the word, um, but I did not have my answer when the outline was there. And I, I really didn't know how the book would end. I just finished editing another friend's book about a week ago and he has a chapter on faith extenders and it's where God kind of places some kind of sometimes ridiculous tangible object in a person's life as a reminder to keep warring for that thing. And I think that outlining that book in those dark times, that was a faith extender for you. And I'm guessing that as ridiculous as you felt it was to, that you shoved it in a drawer, it became part of that clarion call to pray for that promise. Yeah, that's good, Megan. I like that word. Faith extender. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as you journeyed through this, like you said, there were days that it was just the cyclical month-to-month thing, that it was a certain level of prayer versus those holy work days. What does prayer life look like in that season? How did it transform oh. how you prayed or where, where someone's starting versus where they get to? You know, I would I'd get lost in kind of like Hannah's bitter weeping and... Um, I'd find myself there for a while. And then I would, I remember there'd be seasons I'd be in Job and I really felt like it was such an unjust book. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I would sit in the injustice of it from Job's perspective mm-hmm. because I, I could lament there. This is not fair. This isn't fair to him. His, you know, his friends aren't helping. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it was, but I think that hope is this amazing thing. Hope is like the oxygen that we breathe. Uh, Shane, Shane Lopez is a, is a hope researcher and he writes that in his book that hope is like oxygen and we can't function without oxygen. So God has a way of, I, I think he kind of buoys us. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he knows how to lift us up when we need it. So, so prayer might be this place where it's this desperate lament, like you see that Hannah does, yeah. but then, then God gives you something that that's a, sorry about that. That was my other computer dinging. Oh, that's all right. I thought I turned everything off. All hey, the, we're all in the middle of a work day. I mean, all the no. cell phones, you know, and like the email stuff. And then that, that went off. 
<laughs> the whole world is used to living uh, through technology right now. It's oh, like... I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so I think he found ways. God always is faithful. Honor. He's a faithful father. Even when we're really, really low, he can, he can give us the word or maybe the song um, that gives us a little bit of hope to persevere in a new way, you know? Mm, so that's good. there would be times in prayer, I would be thankful. I mean, thankfulness and praise is, is part of prayer. Um, at, at those really low days, God let me work for an international airline. I, I didn't see it then. I see it now. It was a mercy in the process. So for me, I would... Um, I could run away and fill my heart with a beach or, you know, right. with an international adventure or something, which would alleviate some of that very difficult pain, the very lowest parts, you know, after my um, first failed IVF, we went to Hawaii and I do remember just kind of like weeping, you know, throughout all the islands, but somewhere I have found um, that transformation it does make us stronger. It, it, God puts us in this, each of us. So he knows what we're supposed to be. Right. And he knows like the process that it takes to get us there. Um, and he's okay with the fact that we doubt. <laughs> he can handle that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I don't have to feel guilty about that, that I'm not. I think that's the other thing a long process will do for you. You stop feeling guilty about your responses. God yeah. gets us. He knows us. He created us. I mean, he sees my heart, whether I'm saying it out loud to him or not. Right. Um, so prayer is just a conversation with God. It can take many different forms, but essentially it, it's built along this relationship, you know, yeah, yeah. and he, he woos us to him and we might go with him singing and laughing through praise or lamenting. Um, uh, sometimes intercession is where you go. It's, it's an aspect of spiritual warfare. I feel like there were many that's another part of the book. Um, I was able to identify my weapons of warfare. One of them was praise and worship. And one of them was prayer um, that I was able to grab hold. There would be times I would grab hold of those promises and declare them and, and uh, really feel like that that was my future and I needed a war for it. And that I was called to hold that line and hold that space kind of, I mean, that is what faith is, right? It's the evidence of unseen. So somewhere we're all called to that life of faith where we're grabbing hold of that eternal promise and, and we're trying to pull it into our today. So, I mean, you go, let's face it, in a 23-year journey, journey, you're going to run the gamut of the emotions. All of the emotions, yeah. And you're going to experience like all of the different levels of prayer. Um, so I, I just made a short list here of what I think prayer is. First off, let me say, I think prayer is a relationship. It's not a formula. Mm -hmm. I think formula is religion. I think um, prayer is relationship with God. Now, we do get glimpses in scripture of ways to pray. Certainly, Jesus is our pattern. And, and um, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer, when we go to Matthew 6, Jesus, this is how he prays. And there's yeah. some key things you can learn from that. You learn that he went away to pray. Yeah. He, he did it in solitude. You know, he, he talked to his father one-on-one. -on -one. It wasn't grandstanding. It wasn't to gain an audience. It wasn't to build his reputation. It was because for him, prayer was talking to his dad. Mm -hmm. You know, so to me, the picture is talking to my dad. I know a lot of people pull out a lot and our father who in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name. Like we talk to God first before we bring our petitions to him. Sure. I, I believe yeah, I believe we right. do all that. But I think there are times like when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, Abba. Yeah. I mean, he's just, in, his, in his utter desperation and torment, 
rescue me, you know? And there's that one word. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's times I'll just, even now, I mean, life's journeys don't stop. Life's wars, battles. I have new ones now. I think I thought they all would disappear when I had kids. (laughs) But she just changed. <laughs> now you war for them, you know. Um, right. And the call in my heart to reach the vulnerable and the impoverished and the fatherless. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a, I'll never, nobody individually will ever fulfill that. that. Yeah. So you just, you live in prayer. But I think that um, Abba is an okay way to pray. Help uh, me, Jesus. I need absolutely. you now. You know, I think um, there's a place for corporate prayer. Um I think there's a place just for conversations. I walk my insane Siberian Husky puppy every morning (laughs) in the dark. And I am overwhelmed, you know, when I see the sun come up and all of its colors and just something I smell. I just talk to God. It's not holy are you, you know, oh, woe is me and my sin. It's, Father, that is so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that, that that's what you gave to me today to start my day. Yeah. You know, and then from acknowledging his beauty flows that worship. Um, um, another type of prayer is contemplative. It's something new for me, something I'm, I'm not been part of my faith tradition too much, mm-hmm. but it, it's more focusing on the silent, the silence and the solitude and listening. That's yeah. a big aspect of prayer that is coming to me now. I'm, I've been um, keeping Sabbath for six months. This, that's new too, as a lifelong Christian, that's a place God's brought me to. Yeah. I wish I would have known about Sabbath through all those years. I think it would have helped me process the hard places of life so much better. Um, but prayer, I'm finding that I don't always have to be the one that talks. You know, right, right. God maybe doesn't need to say anything. He just wants me to sit with him. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he does want to say something and we can't hear it because we're too busy talking. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's a posture to receive. That's really good. That's a, so that's a point I want to bring out. I'm so glad you see that you said that. I think one note when you told me this topic that I wrote down is that um, thoughts on prayer. First thing I wrote down was it's a posture. You have to be postured, positioned and present. Mm, that's good. I mean, that's what David did through the Psalms. I put a sticky note in my Bible one day because I thought, my goodness, Look at, he bowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. He, he, he postured himself. He positioned himself, got in the right place. And then he was present with God. Yeah. So for, for me, prayer is all of those things. It's posturing of my heart. It may be me on my knees. God knows I've spent enough time face down flat, on, you know, in prayer. Right. <laughs> That's much more the Abba. <laughs> like, where are you? I need you to break through, you know? And then I think prayer is a combination of all of these things. You know, it can be intercession at the same time. It can be worship because you can be in the middle of praying for something and warring for something. And God gives you some cool revelation that you never saw before. And then it becomes a place of praise. Yes, that's good. Again, it's all about and tied to a relationship with our father. I mean, that is all he wanted in the beginning. Yeah. And you said that it is about that transformation. So the more we see him and spend time with him, the more we become like him. I think, you know, we understand his ways more and more. We know his voice more and more. Uh, That doesn't come at the beginning of a relationship. It comes after you've journeyed for a while with someone, walked alongside someone for a while, warred through some hard places. 
but I love that you are talking about the fact that he will reveal something new about himself as we're, cause we're kind of, we're so earthbound. We're trying to figure out just how to get through the obstacle or get through the day or get through the lack or get through the conflict. And he is, he has something for every situation and he's just like waiting to reveal it. Yeah. And as we connect with him and pull on that, he reveals another part of his nature and it fills up that space and it transforms the situation because it transforms our perspective. I think that's right. so beautiful. Right. And then the cycle starts all over because we worship because he's shown himself new to us, you know. And he's not worried about time. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think if anything, he's going to, especially for our generation, he's going to push back against that instant just a little bit, you know, because yeah. I, I reflect at raising five kids for what your teenagers right now. I reflect often on the fact that we live in this instant environment. And for maybe the first, I don't know, maybe only three generations of all of the history of man, you know, do we not yeah. live close to the earth where we understand a natural cycle of sowing and reaping? It's, right. it's like a foreign language to our kids. I mean, in a lot of ways to me too, I, I'm 53. I remember always pretty much being able to go out and eat if you wanted to. I mean, yeah. not fast food. We ate at home when I was little, but this idea of that you grow the food you have to eat. <laughs> yeah. Which builds in, I think, an, a, like an understanding of the cycle and the process of kingdom principles, God principles, a little bit more than our generation tends to cultivate. But nonetheless, those are eternal and God has to find a way to cultivate them in our lives too. Because he's never, he's not a genie in a bottle. I mean, we're not going to get, oh, I want this. Where is it? It's, it, there is a process. And a lot of scripture lays out these ideas of sowing and reaping, um, we put in a little little bitty um, garden in our backyard just this year, just this last week, actually. And it's because I want my youngest two to have an understanding of how long it takes to put a seed in the ground mm. to when you see the crop come or when you see the plant come up to when you actually get to harvest something. I mean, I, I know that's just yeah. a small object lesson, but I think that we as people in modern society need some understanding of patience and that God owns time and that everything is not as instant to us as Google wants us to believe because <laughs> right. um, characters and soul, I mean, a soul is not transformed just because you get the information. Exactly. A soul is only transformed through a lot of time and a lot of pressure and a lot of times wrestling with God alone in the dark. That's good. And even then it's still broken, <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean? He heals yeah. one place and then you, then you can look in the rear view mirror and say, all right, God, I know you were with me here and I know you were with me here. And I, you know, I know you were with me here. So therefore I have that faith that tomorrow you're going to be there too. And I think that's what our patriarchs of the faith, they have the ability to say, you know, Abraham, by the time it was time to like Isaac on the altar, he's like, Wow. The fact that I got this son when I was, when my wife was, you know, 90 years old. Right. God was so faithful, faithful, faithful. He's going to bring the ram. Yeah. He, he knew it. Provide. Yeah. He knew it. I'm wondering, I know this is kind of a hard question to answer, but because you're talking about interceding and battling for the promise when do we get, how do we know, <laughs> maybe this is unfair to ask, how do we know when we should continue to press in uh, for a promise and war for it? And when we need to be content with what God has given us? Does that, is that just like yeah. the, 
age old question. I don't even know if I could answer that. Well, I, the answer I would have for you is, because this is the first thing I typed. Um, we fall on our knees and we stay there until we get an answer or until it doesn't matter anymore. Mm, okay. So it comes back to relationship. I think so. I mean, I think yeah. that when I look in my life, um, there was always reason to hope that we would have children through, through treatment. Um, and we never got pregnant on our own. Um, so I never had that miracle conception ever. My, my, my babies all came through perseverance and through, um, I believe God aligned me with doctors to do what we needed to do. The technology was available when we needed it. Um, but there have been other things that I prayed about for a long time and they resolved another way that released me. Okay. Yeah. You know, so it might not have been the answer I wanted, but it resolved itself. And then I was able to come to a peaceable terms with it. And I, and I was there with my infertility. I will tell you on my fourth IVF, um, um, they decided to do the transfer a little bit differently so that we could ensure the best possible, possible outcome. And it was a surgical transfer. I actually had to have a mini laparotomy. And I remember coming out of that procedure and I said to God, if this doesn't work, I am, I know this door is done. I'm done. You know, at that point it had been 10 years yeah. and I had tried everything and all the new technology and waited and tried the new technology and waited again. Yeah. Like, you were, you were like in it while medicine was developing it. Develop. <laughs> Getting Actually, bigger. When yeah. we did the first one, it was called gift in 92. It just had been brought to the U S our doctor told us what you really need is ICSI. It's proposed technology. It's not here yet, but this is the most we can do right now. So I did two gifts. And then when ICSI came, we felt like, you know, we deserve to give that a try. And then when the thing you waited for, for eight years doesn't work, then, then I was left with this really, I think I'm done. Right. And um, it took a, several, I think, sovereign interactions from um, God to kind of pushed me on into that fourth one. And I, but I do remember when we went to this grand extreme of like, you know, abdominal surgery yeah. to get pregnant, I said on that fourth IVF, and by this point, you know, you're talking, we've already invested 40,000 plus dollars. Right. I mean, this wasn't significant. This was a significant investment of our time, our energy, our prayer, my whole life. Yeah. Um, and anybody who knows through IVF understands that. I mean, has gone through IVF understands that. But I remember being okay. I had healed to the point with if this time it was now, I was, I felt like I'd done everything I could. And okay. yeah. then, then it would have been, I mean, I still wanted to live that out. And that wasn't where God had me. Um, I'm, you know, just still amazed. And when I think back of that positive result and then, you know, all the other stories God had for me. Yeah, yeah. So you warred for the promise. So yeah. You war for the promise unless you're until or unless you're released from the promise. I think so. Yeah, yeah. that's good. You, because you brought up Hannah at the beginning, um, of course, famous story in the Bible of a very long delayed promise. And so I'm going to take it back to your book. You actually have a quote in there that says delayed promises make us people of prayer. So I think our whole conversation has proven that, but just if you're just to leave on a note where like, if someone is in this space where they don't know um, what, what would your encouragement be to them 
to live in that delayed promise? I mean, it's not easy. You have to have, I think it's that daily bread. You know, uh, we, you can, the, the, the danger is you forecast into the fear of the future. You know, like I can't live without this. Um, I can't imagine my life without that. Um, it's this forecasting of fear that just is so overwhelming and crippling, honestly, to faith. But if you can stay in the right now today, you know, if you can find a place to worship today, if you can find a verse today that guides your prayer, if you can do something, if you know that you know, you know, you've been called to something, then, I mean, so if it takes 40 years, it takes 40 years. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, for me, it, it, the story took 23 years and how did I know we were done having or fighting for children? I just knew, I mean, like I knew I was done. I felt like, you know, when you get to those places, there are just things, you know, that you can live, that there's a contentment, there's a peace, there's um, a quieting of the situation. And God can do that a lot of ways. He can either do that by changing your heart, which I believe he can do, or he can do it by fulfilling the desires of our heart. And he's a good father. I mean, if there's a desire inside of you and it's a holy desire and it's a biblical desire, it's likely been placed there by him. Right. I, I believe I could have quit trying. I, and I think, I don't think I would have had a miracle child. I really, I really don't. Cause I mean, I never took birth control. There could have been a miracle child at any point. At any point. Right. And there never was, you know? Um, so I, I, it's a hard question to answer. Um, I don't think God does what we want just because we want it. But I do think that he calls us to boldly come before his throne of grace, you know? Um, And he says that he's a good father and he wants to give good gifts to his children. So I think you have to place your hope in the fact that God is good and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that if he doesn't give you what he wants, he's going to change your heart enough that you're going to be able to live it out. You know, people die waiting for their promises. We see that in scripture. We know we have friends who've passed away or they've lost a spouse and, and, and man, tangible loss, intangible loss. It's hard to find God's hand in that, but his hand is there. And just because you can't see it today doesn't mean that it's not there. And he's, he's um, not present. I want to just, if I could leave you kind of um, with this thought of kind of goes along too with when, when prayers feel like they dry up. We all kind of hit that point where you said everything you can say, you've prayed every way you can. Sometimes nothing new happens and you're thinking, I don't know what to do with this. Um, Craig Barnes in his book, Sacred Thirst writes, although we are invited to boldly and honestly bring our needs and concerns to God in prayer, the point of this invitation is not so that we can get a leash around God and drag him towards our dreams. Rather, it is so that we can drag our lives back into the hands of God. We cannot do this without being changed since God's hands are creative. To pray is to change. Oh, that's beautiful. That's really good. I think uh, learning to rest in that relationship, <laughs> that this is what it's about. Uh, you said earlier, he's not a genie in the bottle. So what, what, are, what is he doing to transform us, yeah. to transform the earth around us that we can partner with him in? And that's, it's painful because decreation comes before recreation. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's the painful part, but you yes. can't have it. Just like you said, with the seed that goes in the ground, the shell around that seed has to physically die before any new life can come. And I don't think any of us can escape covered that up, journey. Covered up and in the dark. Like buried, right? Yeah. So the thing that makes a seed sprout is the pressure. Like the, it's something has to die, right? So, so we come to God with our desperate, desperate prayers. Like I can't, I, I can't live without a baby. There were times I didn't know how I could breathe. I can tell you exactly where I was when I got that no. And I was, I mean, I know the date. It was March 22nd, 1992. I, I still recognize that date every year as a death day in my life. Yeah. I was holding a blue phone in my hand. And I remember when she said no, I just slid down the wall and thinking, I mean, you know, you never forget like those death days. Those are memorials, but they're supposed to be places that are memorials that we look back on and we can say, I am not who I was then. Yeah. I'm not so desperate for anything that I know that my God can't meet me there. Amen. That's as hard as life is and life is hard and it's a journey and there's just going to be something else. But, but I think if you can develop that prayer life um, and be confident that God is good and he has a good thing for you, even though it's not in your hands, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to leave you or forsake you. I, I, I just, to me, it's just God is good and he's faithful. That's awesome. Dawn, thank you. I know this story is intimate and it's um, painful, uh, but I'm excited that you are sharing it so that people can read it because I think that they're going to uh, really get some tools because there are a lot of people who go through really dark days and and don't know how to access the hope to get through to the other side. So we can't actually advertise it yet. It's not published yet, but it will be. So hopefully our listeners can come back and find that on our blog. Uh, sooner than later but thank you for joining us hey you love you yeah i i could just listen to the two of you talk for a lot longer because it's i can tell your sisters when you both start talking you guys have so much just truth and word planted deep inside you guys even use a lot of the same language when it comes out (laughs) and i don't know you guys just have a lot of wisdom to share from all of your years of living on earth just just kidding you guys aren't that old that old (laughs) (laughs) just kidding but no it's good (laughs) all right guys and that wraps up another episode of the dauntless grace exchange you can follow us on social media to stay connected we are on instagram at dauntless grace ministries our facebook page is dauntless grace and you can join the conversation in our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash team dgm For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities, and you can follow me on Instagram at EnneagramMegan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.